As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means as of today, Monday, I no longer cover a Ron Rivera coach team. The inevitable happened Monday morning as managing partner Josh Harris fired Ron Rivera. And that news was inevitable based on how this season has gone, a 4-13 finish uh, and four seasons without a winning record. But it was what came almost simultaneous to this news that really was the intriguing part of the day, and that is former Golden State Warriors general manager Bob Myers, along with ex-Vikings GM Rick Spielman, were added to Washington's advisory board. Uh, Josh Harris also spoke today, and the commanders requested interviews with several uh, prominent GM and coaching candidates. So a lot to get to here. I talked about a bunch of these topics with my guy Grant Paulson from 1067 The Fan. Uh, I'll get to that in just a few moments, but I want to share a couple of pieces of information. First off, thanks to everyone for, as always, checking out the podcast. We've got a big new year coming up. Tons of changes will be happening, so just make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you do your podcasting, and subscribe to The Athletic. You can check out all my candidates' articles over the last week or so, and I'll have a new article out on Tuesday with a look at what became a prominent topic as to why the Ron Rivera era did not work out. Spoke to a lot of sources, so you can check that out on The Athletic. Um, Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig as well. Um, All right, so before... Grant and I talked a little bit about Ron, but we didn't talk a a ton about it. Um, So I just kind of want to start there. Um, Look, it obviously didn't work out here in Washington for Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera, the personnel lead, I think in many ways sort of sabotaged Ron Rivera, the coach. This was a team that three years in a row started slow, got hot somewhere in the middle and just fell short. And you know, it, it's somewhat easy to say, and not wrong, I mean, that the quarterback piece just never quite fit. Um, four quarterbacks in the first year, 
Ryan Fitzpatrick gets hurt in the first half of the first game. The second year, Carson Wentz, you know, seemed like a bad idea from the start, but that didn't work out. And then things imploded this year, not because of Sam Howell, but obviously his fade as his first year as a starter went on coincided with Washington's eight-game losing streak to close the season. Nonetheless, Ron Rivera, I think, you know, he what he was able to handle that very first year between COVID uh, hitting the country, between all the Dan Snyder scandals really starting to blow up, you know, the ones that happened before Rivera ever got there started blowing up that summer. And then late that summer, he is diagnosed with cancer, a form of skin cancer uh, that required significant treatments, definitely zapped his energy for a while. And he really didn't get start feeling right until really almost last, you know, late in uh, it, 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 during the 2023 calendar year. So, for him to even to never miss a game and to deal with all of the headaches that he had to because you know Snyder was Dan Snyder was a recluse and there was really nobody else to to be that spokesman he did it and you know the players respected him for that for respected him for keep battling through the cancer without missing a game and you know say what you want about this team but they played hard I mean they they got blown out several times we can't argue that but they played hard. You know that even down the stretch of this season, so I think you give Ron Rivera a lot of credit for that. But ultimately, football—the wins and losses—is what matters, and you know it just was not nearly good enough. And even the years where they were five, you know, finished 500 or close to it, it never remotely felt like they're on the cusp of something. The worst part may be, as I said, with the personnel, you have a situation where. You know, the best players on the team that Rivera inherited, who are still here, Terry McLaurin, John Allen, and Deron Payne, are still the best players on this team. They labored in the draft and free agency. Too often, moves or choices were made to worry about a narrative rather than to stick with a plan to move this thing forward. And, you know, it, it's never just on one person. But in, but in this case, Ron Rivera obviously is going to have to get a large chunk of the blame. Uh, Josh Harris today, when asked, you know, about I don't even know. If, well, I don't even know if he was necessary. Well, he actually wasn't asked about necessarily why he fired Rivera. It was about he he brought it up in his opening statement, and you know, he basically said, "Look, Ron's Ron's a good guy. He dealt with a lot, but this year clearly was not good enough." And like within moments, because of the Bob Myers and, and Rick Spielman announcement. The page was turned on Rivera so quickly that it was only like a few hours later, like middle of the day, Harris spoke at one o'clock, so maybe it was right after Harris, that it felt at that point like Rivera had been fired weeks ago. We knew forever it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. The when was always going to be this Monday. Um, I, th- I thought Harris did a good job of, you know, handling it properly. I know so many of you wanted Rivera fired weeks ago, and the season was what it was. Uh, it was not good. But they let him stick around through the end. Um, the, the side benefit of it all was because of all the losing, they they finished with the number two overall pick and puts them in great position uh, as an asset to help lure good candidates combined with nine picks overall, five in the top uh, 100. 
um, you know, all, uh, a, a lot of good stuff for Washington to present to candidates. Josh Harris kind of laid that out today. So, you know, it's from a football perspective, you know, I certainly haven't been shy of criticizing Rivera or questioning uh, various choices he's made. But as a person, obviously, seeing somebody lose their job, uh, somebody who definitely did uh, care about the situation, his, like I said before, his players, um, by and large part, you know, were pretty praiseworthy of him. Um, and, um, you know, he's always seemed like a good a good man. So best of luck to Ron Rivera as he moves forward. I don't, I don't know if he's going to get back into coaching or... Um, or, or, or some television work or who knows what, but, um, you know, I'm sure we will, we have not seen the last of Ron Rivera. Now, the question is, of course, who is the next Ron Rivera? Who is going to be replacing him? It's not just a head coach. It's a front office lead. And, uh, Josh Harris today said that along with Myers and Rick Spielman, Others will be on the advisory committee heading these searches, including uh, limited partners Mitch Rails, Magic Johnson, and David Blitzer. They have more NBA-type people over there than they do NFL people. I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm just saying that it's an amusing way to uh, to, to look at that, at that group. Um, Grant and I talked about some of the candidates that we know at this point they have inter- they've submitted requests for interviews uh we, we discussed whether you would take if you could only have one whether you would take ben johnson oc with the lions or adam peters assistant gm with the 49ers both both of them will be uh going uh through the interview process uh peters it, it could be pretty quickly here i imagine their goal is to get a front office lead uh, finalized within the next week to 10 days so they can have that person help them with the coaching search. But here's the names that we know so far. On the executive side, 49ers again, assistant GM Adam Peters, Bears assistant GM Ian Cunningham, Eagles assistant GM Alec Hallaby, Chiefs assistant GM Mike Borgonzi, and Browns assistant GM Glenn Cook. Uh, all five were mentioned in my GM story. Uh, Peters Cunningham were the first two names and Hallaby was like fourth, uh, Borgonzi. I, I went with, uh, chiefs, uh, VP of operations, uh, Brad Tillis instead, but Borgonzi is definitely one of the top pure, like talent evaluator guys. And then Brown's assistant GM, Glenn Cook, as I said, um, I went with a different Browns executive. So all those people are pretty interesting, notable. I think especially Peters and Cunningham, I think there's going to be a significant interest in them. Um, I, I don't want, you know, it's too early to speculate about anything, but I definitely think Peters is something you have to keep an eye on. I don't think it is completely um, a shot in the dark. Peters has connections to Bob Myers uh, from their time as Bay Area executives as well as growing up in Northern California. They both went to UCLA. From what I gather, this Peter situation is something to definitely keep an eye on. I also know there's interest in Ian Cunningham. I think that interest goes both ways. We'll see. Now, on the coaching side, seven names we are, we're know, we are aware of for interview requests. 
Ben Johnson, Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, Texans OC Bobby Slowick, Cowboys DC Dan Quinn, Rams DC Raheem Morris, Lions DC Aaron Glenn, and Ravens assistant head coach Anthony Weaver. Now, you notice there, only two are on the offensive side, and I think this is something to keep an eye on this year. Johnson is the is the clear top target, at least for fans. I think for a lot of teams as well, because of you know what the, he's been able to do with the Lions' offense the last couple of years. But if you want an offensive OC, boy, you may have to even pay up for Johnson even more because the every other, all the other names behind him. I'm not saying they're not intriguing, like Slowick, like Bucks OC Dave Canales, and others. But there's more names on the defensive side that are a little more obvious candidates as reflected perhaps by this list. Now, be clear, this is not the final list. They will interview more. I asked, or it was asked today of, of Harris, how you know, what's that plan? And he basically said, look, he wants to move quickly here, but he also wants to be thorough. So I imagine they will uh, speak with several candidates and or request to speak with several far beyond this list. So, that's the, the basics for the day. Um, Grant and I got into a lot of topics, so I'll just sort of leave that there. More podcasts coming this week without question. And, you know, more articles to come up. As I said, I encourage you to check out the article that will be up Tuesday regarding Ron Rivera's uh, time here in Washington coming to an end and the reasons why. Um, all right, so let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan, talking about a pretty significant day in the history of the Washington football organization. Ron Rivera is out, and we'll see who's coming in. Uh, that's uh, oh, oh, by the way, uh, no, we'll see who's coming in. Enough of that. Here we go uh, on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, as promised, joining me here, we're still out in Ashburn, burning the midnight oil. Grant Paulson from 1067 The Fan. We are here, of course, to talk about the big news of the day. The Washington Commanders released Curtis Hodges. You've been holding that bit. That's very <laughs> funny. I did not see that coming. But how long have you been preparing that? Oh, I just found out myself about five minutes ago. It was happened two hours ago. Needless to say, the only thing that annoys me about that is, like, he was on this roster all year. He never played. And then they cut him the day after, <laughs> the day after the season. Like... It almost seems like somebody in the building is like, you know what, Ron's gone. We're getting rid of him. Uh, nothing should annoy you about that. I should, I, I should, unless you're. Oh no, I just find it funny. Mrs. Oh. Hodges, his mom. I, I don't care. I mean, no disrespect to her, him. Yeah. I don't care about him. It's just more of a, a, a perfect example of like where this team was going. The guys, you're using a roster spot on a guy when you're not even using him yourself. What, I don't even know because I he is so off my radar. He wasn't on there 53. Yeah. All year until they went on IR. Yeah, well, that's stupid. Yeah, at a position they clearly needed help. <laughs> right. All right, needless to say, that is not the topic of the day. So many things to get into. We'll, we'll do uh, we'll do them in some order. We'll get to everything we can. And obviously, whatever we don't get to here, I'll have plenty more podcasts this week. And, of course, you can hear Grant talk 2 to 6.30 on 106.7 The Fan. Um, I don't even know what counts as the news of the day. In that, okay, first thing this morning, Ron Rivera is fired. We have been discussing this inevitability for weeks. 
so it doesn't feel like it is as big of a deal. We'll talk about the end of the Rivera era. But as the announcement is happening, here come reports. They're adding a couple people as consultants. Okay, we've all wondered who's helping Harris make some calls. Rick Spielman, former Vikings GM, seems like the type of person you might want. But then Bob Myers, the former GM of the Warriors, uh, you know, architect of a team that won four titles, he's coming on board. And you're like, wow, wow okay, that's kind of wacky. And like I said, I think it's like one is the past. Rivera leaving is not just the end of Rivera. It is effectively the end of the Snyder era because that was the last coach he hired. And Bob Myers is an example of moving forward with an owner who has shown over and over again a willingness to think outside the box. So I'll let you as the guest choose. What what to you is the more interesting detail today? Well, just because the Rivera element was so known and expected. I mean, I've literally been saying on my show, and I'm not special, but just as an example, like it was a countdown to January 8th. Like literally today, we knew. It wouldn't be last night probably definitely wasn't going to be tomorrow. It was today. So it was just the formality of seeing the the Schefter tweet of when Ron or whoever got around to sending them the text that it was official, right? So that having been said, you know, because there was no surprise, it wasn't like they also fired uh, Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew and, and Eric Stokes. It was just that Ron had been dismissed. It's got to be Myers. I mean, nobody really saw that coming. I think we expected that they would have to bring someone in to help in the process. We didn't know who that would be. Uh, I'd made a bunch of guesses. Most of them were guys like Rick Spielman, honestly. So he gives you your football chops. That's your in-the-box contributor. But the Bob Myers element's fascinating. Uh, and it, it, there was also a little bit of kind of a back and forth of what does this mean, right? I think uh, Rap Sheet on NFL Network almost made it seem like he was being brought on as a general manager or something, and a lot of people overreacted to that. Then there was a correction where everyone said he's just here as an advisor to the process. And then right away in his presser, Harris made it pretty clear he's going to be here. Now, it, it sounds to me like a long-term advisor and someone who's essentially on the payroll to help him, you know, guide him from a just a structure standpoint, but... Having said that, who saw that coming? I mean, it's pretty amazing. I like the idea. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's an org builder. I happen to believe it's not like he's calling plays. Like, in the same way that an R&D person with a a data and science background can help run a baseball team with an algorithm, I think that a guy who's built an NBA champion can help you put people in place to, to have a good structure in football. So, smart to me. You've been saying this out of the box kind of theme all along. What's more out of the box than that? Uh, yeah, no, com- com- completely. And a few days ago, um, so the Carolina Panthers a couple days ago, it was announced or reported that they hired the same search firm to help with their process that the Wizards used when the Wizards eventually hired the guy down the hall and Tommy Shepard. So uh, somebody said to me, hey, they, they may be in play for the commanders. I was like, really? The search firm thing is always seems kind of weird to me, but I get it. You need something. But again, my one experience with this firm is they literally hired the executive who'd been down the hall for 20 years or whatever. So to bring in Bob Myers, like you said, Spielman's more of a logical choice, but okay, at least he's, he's a guy who's been in the league you know, fairly recently. But to bring in Myers, like it, it says you're going to have a process. 
Who knows if they get it right? But they're going to have a process that is not conventional. It is not simply asking the same questions over and over and over again. It's looking at the world differently. And I do think that is going to be a hallmark of what happens here. And that's why it's not just a kind of a wow thing that you brought in this specific human, but what it represents for where this thing um, is going. Um, Oh, but yeah, so so Harris talked about that and he talked about it. A bunch of other topics, and we got to ask him questions. Uh, you uh, were kind enough to let the rest of us ask questions. Ah. So what, what, uh, what, what for you kind of stood out, and what would you have wanted to to ask him, or was there something that we didn't get to ask him that maybe you would have liked to hear from? Yeah, him? the question I would have asked if I was uh, lucky enough to have uh, joined the Ben Standing Brigade would have been I wanted to ask him about the analytics side of things. Um, specifically Eugene Shen's role to this point, both at the trade deadline and in some of the advising that he's done here down the stretch as it pertains to, like, you, you now have brought in Spielman, football person, and Myers. Like, how will he help them in this search? Uh, also, Shen is heading their analytics department currently. Is the plan that that'll be the case? And if so, does that mean they're probably looking more for more of a uh, scouting background GM to work with him? Or, or could you still hire an Alec Hallaby type who's a, a analytics savant? Would that be moderately redundant? You know, then is Shen just reporting to another analytics guy? Uh, so that would be just kind of sifting through that element, analytics versus football. How does he view kind of the ideal structure for him? Is there a preference? Now, he's talked about, and he talked about it today, being flexible with talent, meaning I've got proclivities, I've got, as he calls them, these orientations of how he wants to do things, right? But I'm going to be somewhat flexible and rigid, uh, you know, well, malleable, rather, you know, based on um, the right people being available. So, like, that's what I wanted to dive into. I didn't think we really got into that much. I thought the presser was great, though. It started succinctly right at one o'clock when it was supposed to. Like literally to. at one o'clock. One o o o o. Like that matters to me. It's telling. I just think it's a. This is professional. Like we're not on. Whenever we get to the podium time, like this is grown up stuff. So like I love that. Um, he took questions. No owner hasn't taken questions in that room in this building. Uh, I don't think uh, in my lifetime. I, but I, certainly not in twenty plus years. I haven't covered the team as long as probably you did. And, and, and I only got the last few years of Snyder today. I saw Josh Harris talk in that room as many times as I was ever in that room for Snyder. I only was ever happy Thanksgiving. And that's the first time I ever heard him talk. Yeah. I mean, he, he would routinely come whenever they introduce coaches. So like I've, I saw him do the presser for Gibbs and for Zorn and, you know, fill in the blank. He would always kind of go up there. He'd give his little spiel on why they found the right guy. And, They'd polish up the Lombardis and bring them out and put them on the table. But you never took questions. Like, this to me is different. And it's necessary. It's it's what you're supposed to do. I mean, yes, it's it's your company that you own, but you're relying upon the interest and the money of a lot of people who want to hear what's going on. Uh, and the liaisons between those people and you are sitting there ready to ask questions on their behalf. Uh, so, but I thought he, he did really well. He came off as self-aware to me, came off as humble to me. You know, made it like clear he doesn't have all the answers. It just here, I guess, is my lead out of that press conference. Is almost everything I did today was nothing like what Dan's ever done. Dan interviewed Jay Gruden 
at his house with Bruce for seven, you know, it was actually a couple hours and they already had a contract done, to be honest with you. But, you know, but you, you, that's how he did it. Uh, this guy, Harris, is going to have Rails and Blitzer and Magic involved. And he's hired these two guys who know more than him to help him out. Uh, it, it's completely different. The fact that there were no leaks ahead of this. That the Bob Myers thing, we didn't hear his name a week ago. We didn't hear Rick Spielman's name 72 hours ago. Like, how does that happen? You know, that, that's crazy to me. This is this place has more leaks than a you know a, a boat that just got shot with a machine gun uh, over the last several years. So, I, I was uh, I was really impressed with the whole thing today. I really was. I wrote a couple of stories last week about potential candidates for coach and GM, and I would, after one of them, one of the comments I know don't read the comments. One of the comments was like. Basically, this is a waste of time. You might as well have just said you have no idea. To which some of the other readers defended it, and then I did as well. I was like, A, I can't tell you something I don't know. B, nobody's reporting anything on this. Like you just said, they're pretty tight with this. But I did get insight from people who are around the league, and that was the part of the story. Also, your point wasn't to report who it was. Your point was, here are GM candidates in this cycle, and you should learn some things about them. Yes, exactly. But yes, to your point, it is... We have no idea. I mean, you know, um, we can assume they're going to interview some of the people who they have now, in fact, um, put it in request for Adam Peters on the GM side, Ben Johnson on the coach side, probably the two head, two leading guys that people, or at least perception-wise, around there. So that makes sense. But you don't know who else they're going to go for or skip or, or what have you. Um, so, yeah, I do agree. I think they've done a pretty good job of, of that so far. And... Uh, I think that's the thing ultimately is like like we were saying, ultimately winning will be how this is all defined. But in terms of like the process, no pun intended with Harris, in terms of the process of what they do stuff, adults are in the room. Like I, I mean, and it's literally has not been that way forever. I mean, no, but here's the deal. I mean, it, it is night and day. And like there is a cynical person in every chat room or whatever. And and I'm sure today listening to my show on the fan or. Or what? That's gonna read any of your stories and go. I roll. I've heard this before. You know. Oh, so you know, it's a fresh chance for hope. I remember being sold this. If that's your prerogative, it's your fandom. Do whatever you want. I, I don't care. I mean, that that's like. And I'm not being a dick. I'm just saying like enjoy the space. You know, like whatever you want to do. The fact is, grown-ups are talking here. Like, please acknowledge that nothing is the same. This guy Harris. And Dan Snyder couldn't be different in terms of ownership and how they run an organization. Um, every little element of how they act here, you know, just the, the conversations you have uh, with people that are around Harris from his group. Like, he's got, uh, what is it, Harris Blitzer? What, what's the name of his company uh, that he has with all these people? Yeah, Harris Blitzer. Yeah, Harris Blitzer. I mean, he's got these folks walking around and they're shaking hands and they're saying hello and they're... You know, having quick little conversations and getting to know people. I mean, Dan Snyder didn't have people like that, really. He had a, His circle was, he didn't have, like, professionals that just walked around. And the people that were Snyder's people, which we referred to as, like, henchmen out here, screamed at you and yelled at you and treated you terribly. And it was a horrifically awful culture. I mean, I'm not overstating it to say, like, there's nothing in common. So does this mean they're going to win a Super Bowl? No. Does this mean this is going to work, that they'll get the right GM and the right head coach? No. But if if that's all you care about, then I've got nothing for you. You can't really control that part. 
you can control the controllable, which is having a good process, doing things the right way, and they're now doing that. And while I'm sure I said years ago, like, hopefully they'll get it right and they'll win, this is the first time since I was in diapers and they were winning Super Bowls that they will have a GM, head coach, structure, and in one offseason, one fell swoop for the first time in ever, they're going to have year one for this ownership, GM, head coach, quarterback, all starting together, ideally in harmony. They're picking each other. You know, this is not going to be you've inherited this guy that this other person wanted, but this guy hates his guts. It's so different. And if people can't see that, that's fine. Then we'll just have to wait and see what happens on the field. But they got a shot. Not, not to mention, on top of that, the actual assets in place. The number two pick, nine picks overall, five in the top 100, give or take. It's six in the top 102. Um, you've got, give or take, $90 million in cap space. And you also are not stuck with any bad contracts. Like I, you know, rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins. But like that choice wrecked two coaches. Jay, the end of Jay, and the start of Ron, and ultimately they never did, you know, for all the talk of should they, they should have drafted Justin Herbert <coughs> instead of Chase Young. Well, Dwayne was here and blah, blah, blah. But so, like, there's no baggage the way that every other time, like, whenever a coach would come in, there was always something. Typically, it was the owner. But but, but there was always uh, something there for sure. Um, all right, well, so about the what's going to happen next. I, here's my interpretation, and having talked to some people as well. The today they were able to put in interview requests and we mentioned some of the names. I think it was about eight or nine names total as of the point we're talking now that we're that we know of. Kind of mixed coaches and GMs. The he wants to hire the GM first. I think we've all assumed that. But another normal thing that happened today, like as opposed to hiring Jim Zorn as OC before you even have a coach, he's like, yeah, we want to hire the GM first to then help us with the coaching search. It doesn't sound like the GM is going to have full autonomy to make the pick, but he then becomes part of the advisory committee, essentially. And he wants that done. Formal interviews with coaches in person can start on the 22nd. So it sounds like this GM, they've been calling it sort of head of or football ops. I think maybe that's in part because Martin May is still here. So they're using it as a sort of a different title, I think. I, it's... It sounded more today it'll be a GM with a fancy title versus three positions, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you probably name someone, you know, your VP football ops and general manager. And, and because they get hired, then Marty and Martin and Martin and Marty, 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 they're all gone. <laughs> then one of them gets, you know, then you get the GM title as well. I really hope somehow there's a candidate named Marty that we don't know about. I just think the Marty party continuing would be kind of funny somehow. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's ten candidates they've requested permission to talk to, five GMs, five head coaches that are public at this point. You know, I, I try not to get too caught up in who they asked when. and It's pretty much an agent game, if we're being honest, where, you know, the agents for these guys are getting the names out. Um, as quickly as they can and there's probably folks that they've requested permission to whose agents aren't in a, in a rush to, to get those names out um, but they're working quickly obviously the one thing he said that I loved by the way was he said ideally my preference would be to hire the GM before the head coach and that's my goal but I have to be flexible to get the talent that we need meaning and I'm just hypothetical here but if let's just say they decide, and I don't think this is the case, they're like they have to get Jim Harbaugh 
right? Or, or Harbaugh is a bad example. Ben Johnson. Well, let's say be Ben it. Johnson. They have to get Ben Johnson, and Ben Johnson's got an offer from Atlanta. He's going, dude, I can't wait any longer, and you may not offer me the job. Like, I got to know. And they may then hire Ben Johnson, knowing they're close on Ian Cunningham or Adam Peters, but the deal's not done yet. I like that. Like, don't have hard and fast rules. Get the best people. Yes, you should hire the GM and then the head coach. And rest assured, I would imagine in that hypothetical, that a guy like Adam Peters, if he's being interviewed, or Cunningham, is going to be briefed, and they're going to talk about working with Ben Johnson. And if they have some reason why they don't want to, I'd imagine they wouldn't hire him. But I thought that was a good answer. And he used that same rationale about being flexible for talent when he talked about not wanting a coach-centric process, which I think those two words are like, Tommy John and baseball around here. Yeah. Like nobody wants to hear that or position flex or Buffalo nickel probably ever again. It's like, you know, uh, gives you the PTSD. But when he was talking about not wanting a coach centric approach, again, he said, you know, we have to be flexible with talent, but ideally 80 hour job for a coach, 80 hour job for a GM. It's too hard. It should be two different people. I kind of thought in my mind, again, in this hypothetical, let's say that the guys come back to him and they go, it's gotta be hardball. Well, I think Jim Harbaugh's in the Jim Harbaugh business. Probably wants some control. You, you don't want to box yourself in today and sit there and say we're not going to have anybody who has any control. So you, you don't want to say on six days after the season, Sam Howell's QB one when he made one start. You don't know who the OC or the quarter or the other quarterback is like that. Generally, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> right? No, it's but to your but point, I thought he was. I just think he's sharp, and that idea of like flexible for talent is just like a really. Um, it just shows acumen. Like I'm, I'm impressed by him. I like him. Yeah, and, and you know, um, yeah, I agree with, I agree with that. Um, especially like I'm with you. I'm not I forget what just happened here. In general, the coach centric thing is not so much for me, but it can work. It works in Kansas City. It works in Seattle. Um, but yes, if you decide, I'll say really quick. We talk about this all the time, and I don't need to. And you agree with this, I'm sure, because we've talked about it. Everyone pretends like Kansas City and Seattle are crazy coach centric. Kind of. I mean, John, uh, not John Dorsey, um, Brett Veach does a ton in Kansas City. He's a real general manager. Like, they have a, a real GM. John Schneider in Seattle is a real general manager. Um, those guys are not just, you know, calling Pete Carroll and Andy Reid and asking what they want and going to the dry cleaner for them. So, like, this situation here, to me, was way more coach-centric than those are. And the difference, I would say, still, with Belichick, who had it at one point in time, although Pioli... You know, was a legitimate GM. Those two guys, like we're talking about, great head coaches. Andy Reid's one of the best ever, right? Uh, say what you want about Carroll, he's no, you know, he's, but he's very good. Like Ron Rivera is not in that group, and right. it wasn't when he was hired. It was one of my annoyances. Like you, you hired a seven and nine band, you gave him an extra game, and he made you seven and ten music. You know right. what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's kind of what happened. But well, anyway, no, no, but but to that point, like basically they have the conversation. Andy Reid says, here are the things I would want. He has final say. Then Brett Veach is empowered yeah. to go execute that plan without having to constantly go back to Andy Reid and whatever. Whereas, like, and also, like, I think it was more of they hired the best and the brightest that they could. Whereas here, Rivera hired the Commanders or whatever, right? The people he was overly familiar with, which is one of the many flaws, I think, of the time, but didn't really empower them. Most of the people on his staff, the coaches or the front office, were here at his 
at his pleasure because they brought him over. So I don't think too many people were going, hey, man, we should probably consider some other stuff. And then he – I'm not saying he didn't listen to these people, but I'm saying I – the relationship was weird because he, he brought them all in. And, yes, he shouldn't be the one setting the table. He shouldn't be the one telling the, you know, go do this because I think he had quite, he had flaws – as we know, ultimately Ron Rivera, the personnel guy, screwed Ron Rivera, the coach. And uh, you know, not saying he was um, Joe Gibbs, but one he was better at one than the other, and the the, the personnel stuff um, screwed him over for sure. Um, for what I was gonna say, but let me go to a different point with Harris before we uh, let you go. So I, I asked Harris today. Um, you know, he is famous for the process with the 76ers which was a very long, drawn-out attempt to get as me- take as many shots as lottery draft picks as possible, knowing that you're going to miss on a bunch. So get as many picks as you can. In the NBA, of course, that one guy can make all the difference. The Sixers are a good example. They basically got one guy with all that stuff, but he's one of the three or four <coughs> best players in the league, and they win 50 games every year and have a chance to, to make the playoffs. This isn't the same sport we've seen you know, just this year, right? The Texans had the second pick last year. And they're they just won their division. They're in the playoffs, right? Things can quick. So what's he? What did he want to do? Does he want to? Is he willing to take the patient approach, or does he want to see a quick fix? And similar to what you were saying before, he landed somewhere in the middle. He's like, obviously, we want to turn this thing around. He basically said this year was miserable, the football part of it. Um, we don't want that, but I'm not rushing this. I'm not going to say, well, we have to turn this thing around. I watched the Wizards over the years with it was obvious the years that Ted said, hey. Let's go, or you're gonna, you know. So he wa- he wants to do what makes the most sense without compromising himself in either direction. That's exactly what you want. You want, I mean, at some point you have to get off, you know, X or get off the pot. But he will. But he's not locked into anything, and I think that's the way to go. This team is arguably two years away from doing anything. Or if you have the right coaches who maybe can help the Emmanuel Forbeses um, and the Jahan Dodsons get to a higher levels, maybe they're not that far away, but they'll figure it out by time, by looking at it, not saying, again, as we just went through the last four years, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. Yeah, what I liked most about his answer was, it wasn't like he gave you a non-answer or like hedged. He basically said, yeah, I'd prefer and love to do it that way, but it's not, his point was, and what he said was, I've found that when you try to do it quickly, you set yourself back, right? And that's kind of, I think, I'm going to sneeze. Maybe. Hold on. No, I don't need to anymore. He said that normally if I stare at a light, I can make myself sneeze. Yeah. What's your What's your go-to move? To make myself sneeze? Yeah, if you like have a sneeze coming on and you can't sneeze because you're doing a podcast with Ben standing. I mean, I tried you... I tried to hit the mute button and then go to town. Okay. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I can't. I always get it with more like the tickle in my throat. Yeah. And then tough. when I can't try to stop coughing, then I start sweating profusely because <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my god, this is terrible." Um, I have had to tough. I've had to leave a Rivera press conference before because I could I knew it was coming. I had to get out of the room. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Um, but no, what I liked what he said to you was he basically said when you when you try to cut a corner, you that's where you you go sideways so you can't do that you got to do the right way you got to hire the right people and give them the time um it's just the nature of this sport as you said it doesn't take that long that was my gripe with rivera if you have some urgency and aggressiveness and a plan and you you don't 
uh, bat as terribly as they did in the draft and have the batting average they did in free agency, which is like just throwing darts at a board. You should be able to hit on more free agents and draft picks than they did. Uh, you should be able to do this thing. When you had the stat the other, years from now. The stat the other day that I've now used, which is 34 draft picks, one Pro Bowl, and the the pick was the pick he inherited, the number two pick with Chase Young, and obviously Chase Young uh, went sideways, but he even that he inherited. Yes. Not, not to mention uh, of of the seven Pro Bowlers under him, the only one who was with him was Chase, and again with a pick, it was the number two pick, and you know it, yeah. all the other guys were inherited. Thirty three other draft picks, really Chase himself, the thirty fourth, not having another one. All of those things are terrible. But the free agents, man. I mean, it's dozens, and you're not signing yet. You don't sign Trent Scott to be make a Pro Bowl, right? I mean, not every player is going to. But you spent really good money on guys, you know. There's a dozen to 15 guys they spent money on enough that you could say, hey, if this season goes well, maybe they make a Pro Bowl, and they were over. And, you know, without looking back too much, I guess my point is, if you get the right person in here, Adam Peters hypothetically comes in, builds a really good staff around himself, lures some people away from San Francisco, Breaks out that smartphone and takes a picture of that draft board before they walk out the door. You know, come on in. And now you got pick number two, three in the top 45, six in the top 102. You hit on three or four of those picks in a big way. You spend that 80 mil and and you bring in three or four impact players in free agency. Now you got a coach that elevates, as you said, Dotson or Forbes or whoever on both sides of the ball. Right away, you're in a 17 playoff field in a in an NFC where you know eight and nine, and you're in the in the hunt graphic in the final week. I mean, it shouldn't take that long. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see how, like I said, how the new people assess this roster. A lot of free agents, all that. By the way, one one thing to mention. So today was locker room cleanout day. Normally, this would be the conversation, but extraordinary circumstances with it. You know, effectively the first real day of Josh Harris. Uh, as part of football ops, Ron Rivera fired and all that. Um, so we talked a lot of the players today about moving forward, and uh, we'll get to some more of their comments later in the week. But in terms of Josh Harris, um, I talked to Tress Way today both about the end of Rivera and something new coming. And he said that um, – so Rivera spoke to the players today after – I don't know if it was after or before he was let go, but I guess he probably after. And, you know, hey, you know, the, uh, we're, we're talking about the football stuff, but they're all – people who spent a lot of time together. And Tressway was talking about how when his dad had COVID and ultimately uh, passed away, that when, when he was sick, Ron called him every single night or texted him every single night for several weeks to say, hey, man. Uh, that hit. That, that hit me. Yeah. You can see Tress was fighting back tears. Yeah. But then, look, Tress has been here for a long time. He then says, but also, we got to talk to Josh Harris, and he said multiple times, he was really impressed with the message, and he didn't get he, he kept it you know in in house. He didn't give us tell us what was said per se, but just he felt he 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 felt really good about what Harris was saying. And like to your point earlier about the skeptical fan might be like, well, of course it's going to be whatever. Tress has been here through a lot. He's seen a lot. Um, but he said, look, it's the end of the season, but it actually feels like a fresh start. And I take all those comments to mean it isn't so much about Rivera. It is about the remnants of, of Snyder. And, you know, if the players are buying in, I mean, I think one thing that's been obvious, you hear a lot of the players talk about mindset and culture and all this stuff. We talk about culture way too much. But when you're in this building for all these years, you, you, 
inevitably know the shoe was going to drop. Like, you're waiting for the thing. There was a lot of things the last four years, and I think Harris is seen, I think, by some of these guys as that fresh start. And um, I think, you know, that goes a long way, even of itself. You've got to get the right players and all these things. But I think that I, I, I at least wanted to mention that. Um, last thing, and then I'll, I'll let you go. You've made it very clear, Ben Johnson, if you can pick somebody for the coach, that's your guy, the Lions OC. The numbers speak for themselves. But you also are a guy who really wants a general manager. Well, today they did ask for request interviews for both Ben Johnson and Adam Peters, who was typically viewed on any standard list as the number one target. If you want to insert somebody else, go ahead. But it could be two very different setups depending on, say, which is hired. So for you, knowing how you want that OC, but also the GM, if you get to pick one, if you're saying Adam Peters is the top GM candidate or Ben Johnson as the coach, what would you pick? Only you can only have one of them. Oof, this is a great question, and I will I wouldn't be stealing this <laughs> from you to talk about on the radio. Um, I think this will surprise people. Wow, he couldn't hold it in anymore. I was doing great. I almost made it. Wait, one more. I'll sneeze in threes. Did I'm not you know a, that about me. I think that's kind of a normal thing. My mom, is my mom used to sneeze in eights. <laughs> Stop. I swear. No she, way. She kept it going. How is that possible? I, you know. I don't know why. It's oh, My cadence is always boom, boom. Then I can regroup a second. Boom. Supposedly, I read once, like, basically, the first sneeze is recognizing that something's there. The okay. second one is moving it to the exit. <laughs> and the third one is shoving it out the door. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, I think this will surprise people that listen to my show because... We don't have an Adam Peters alert. We have a Ben Johnson alert because I over-talk about Ben Johnson. And I covet him so much. I think I would go Peters. I'd go Peters because I think that the most... If you get Ben Johnson, I'm not sure what the staff looks like around him. Like, you know, the, who who is he bringing with him as his DC and his staff? I, I will say that the most important thing to me is the relationship between head coach and coach, uh, quarterback. And I believe that, which is why I lean him initially. But... I think Peters is able to lure maybe a bunch of the San Francisco brass away. So if it, it's not like one-to-one. -one. It's like Peters and two or three of the top guys maybe in the Niners scouting department, hopefully, ideally, versus Ben Johnson. But, you know, narrowly I would say Peters. I would be very surprised if the two guys didn't get along and want to work together, to be completely honest with you. Um, there was even one report, which got shot down pretty quickly a while back, that, you know, they might even be a package deal, and I know. Yeah, you know, for a lot of reasons, probably neither of them wanted that out there. But uh, I would guess that uh, it wouldn't be an either or. Having said that, if, if you're making me choose between the two, I think getting GM right gives you the best chance at the sustained success. Um, especially because in this cycle, you know, there's I think there's probably two or three candidates that could be you know those mid to upper 30s aged coordinators who could have a lot of success. Yeah, and I think to me, like, the, the GM, like, one thing that's I always point out is the coordinator is applying for a job he has not previously had. Ben Johnson might be the best play caller out there. Can he lead the team? Can he deal with all the other stuff? The assistant GM, and in particularly in this case, to use Peters as the example, he is not, he is doing a lot of things for the Niners. He's basically their main town evaluator. Right. I'm not saying John Lynch is a figurehead, but he's not necessarily 
the guy who's like, hey, who, which linebacker should we pick in the fourth round? There's way less guesswork. Yeah, so I think with Peters, right, it's a little more, okay, if you think this guy's good and you, you have proof of how he evaluates, it's a pretty easy transition. Whereas the coach, you know, who, who can say also GMs, I can't say always, but they typically tend to stay at a place if they start to have some success. Whereas you've pointed out before the danger of taking a defensive coordinator as the head coach is, his OC, if you're successful, is going to get plucked away every so often, and then you have to keep starting over. That's my reservation with, like, Mike McDonald, who people love. And everyone I talk to in football thinks he's a rock star. But, uh, yeah, you go defensive coordinator, you get a great head coach, that's awesome. But, you know, maybe you become Mike Vrabel. Next thing you know, you lose Arthur Smith, and then you lose or you lose Matt LaFleur before that, and the cycle just keeps turning, and your quarterbacks will see C.J. Stroud this year or next year, lose Bobby Sloak. It it just is a – it should be a tiebreaker for sure. I'm, I'm not saying you can't draft a defensive-minded guy, but it's the number two biggest reason why you should draft offensive. The other is – and the number one reason is um, there's 20 years plus of data that suggests you're more likely to win with an offensive-minded head coach in this NFL geared towards offense and points. Offense is more important. Offensive coaches have better offenses. Oddly, they also have better defenses, according to a study that Neil Greenberg did in the post at one point, which was odd. Um, I don't know how that is the case or why, but that's over 20-plus years of data, what it says. But, yeah, you should be striving for offense. But, look, Ben Johnson goes somewhere else. There aren't that many qualified, legitimate, credible candidates as OCs. I'm not naive to that. I understand that after Johnson, McDonald might be the next most interesting guy. So and I, that would be my argument for saying to take Johnson in this hypothetical because not that he's a pure one of one, but there's this is a year where there's more defensive coordinator types yeah. who people are liking more towards the top. You mentioned McDonald, there's Dan Quinn, Aaron Glenn, and others. Uh, oh, see, there could be some interesting guys. I think Dave Canales in Tampa Bay is interesting, but yes, it's typically it's Ben Johnson. And well, it can't then, be Dave Canales because they haven't asked to interview him, right? Correct. I mean, I mean, we all know that the, the five names that are out there right now that's it. are gospel, and the yeah. search is over. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, all right, the search for interesting conversations is never over when you know Grant Paulson and Danny Ruye are available. Anything people need to know, you got whatever you've been doing, I mean, beyond the 2 to 6.30, anything, like, yeah. specific? You, you know, uh, well, we're just, I mean, we're going to be going through welcoming uh, reporters from all the markets where these candidates are coming from and getting to know these names in a little more detail, uh, GM and head coaching-wise, uh, each day on the show. So give it a listen. You rock. Uh, interesting day, to say the least, including you being out here in Ashburn. Not That's a, right. Not something we see all the time, but a, a welcome addition to our madcap room. Of course, today's the last day. We'll all be out here for a lot while, or at least until they hire people. So we'll see. Uh, my guy, appreciate it. Let's see uh, you, buddy. See ya. All right, many thanks to Grant Paulson for his time. Right before I went to Grant, I sort of hemmed and hawed there for a second. Um, I was just going to say, I don't think I said this before, but Rick Spielman is apparently only here for the purposes of helping the team through this process, not uh, believed to be a, con- a candidate for a GM or a front office role. We'll see what happens if they're spending time together. Does that change anything? Uh, by the way, uh, you know, we didn't talk a ton about the players on exit day. I will do a little bit more of that as the week goes on, because obviously, you know, that is a huge perspective. Um, even just to sort of get a rundown of who's who's still around, who's gone, what, who do we think will be gone, all that, all that stuff. So 
that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.